How many of you had a good week this week? That was underwhelming. How many of you have had a good week this week? How many of you can say God is good, even in tough times? He is good, especially if you seek him. I want to just put out a little shameless plug for this Sunday. I'm going to be sharing on the subject, the benefits of seeking God. The benefits of seeking God. You know, when you get back into a corner by life and by circumstances, the best thing you can do is seek God. And so I want to encourage you to be here Sunday and bring somebody who needs the Lord. Uh, we have people saved Sunday and got right with God Sunday, and God really blessed us, and we're going to believe for that again this Sunday. All right? We're not ready to do that yet, but there it goes. There we go. Good. All right. You know, I've got to confess something to y'all. You know, I learn every day. For, uh, for ever since we started this, these Wednesday nights, I've done series and I've done transparencies. And I've always run the, the uh, copies up to a, a copy place and had transparencies made. And then somebody just said to me, why aren't you just printing them off yourself? I mean, I felt so stuck on stupid. <laughs> How many of you ever felt stuck on stupid? Because I just went and bought a box of transparencies. Tonight, for the first time, I did that. And I just thought, where was my mind? I know these things. Because I just, I mean, I'm going to have transparencies coming out the ears now, because now I'm turned on to this. I can make my own transparencies. Next week, they'll be in color. All right. And I was spending money and going up there, and sometimes I was almost late before they closed. Could have done it myself. Why I did not know that is just one of God's ways of keeping me humble. How many of you can say that was pretty stuck on stupid? I, all right, stand up with me, and we're going to read Genesis 3. Tonight we're going to be looking at the fall of Adam and Eve. And we're going to understand why there is so much trouble in this world, disease, sickness, crime, darkness, travail, trouble, and what God did about it. Now, we're just going to read the first few verses. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And then look what she did. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the, bo- uh, the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And let's just stop right there. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you give us an understanding through these scriptures 
of why our world is a troubled world and what you have done about it. Open our understanding that we can have rest in the Holy Ghost and hope through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. Uh, One commentator writes, the story of this chapter is perhaps as sad a story as any we have in all the Bible. We have here an account of the sin and misery of our first parents, the wrath and curse of God against them, the peace of the creation disturbed, and its beauty stained and sullied. Now let's look at it because here we have an account of the fall into sin of our first parents. First of all, we have innocent Eve tempted. In verses 1 through 5, we just read it. Now the Bible says, and I want you to notice this, that here's Eve. Now, up to this point, we've seen that they are in the Garden of Eden, which, by the way, was probably, no doubt, somewhere in present-day Iraq. That's where it was. And no wonder that so much evil hit there, because that's where it originally was. And, and um, here they are in this beautiful garden. They're in total innocence. They have never sinned. They've never had a shadow pass between them and God. There's never been a need to say, God, forgive me. Uh, they walk with God in the cool of the garden. They have this beautiful fellowship with him. We can't even imagine in the furthest reaches of our imagination what this garden looked like. It was pristine beauty. It was breathtaking. It was, uh, you could go to the finest, most beautiful tropical spot in our world today, and it could not hold a candle to the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. I really truly believe that Adam and Eve glowed in the dark. I believe, because if Moses, when he went to the top of the mountain and spent time with God, if Moses came down from that mountain after receiving the commandments and his face was glowing with such glory they had to put a veil over his face, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Adam and Eve glowed in the dark with the glory of God, because nothing had ever shut their spirits down. There had never been darkness. Now here they are. Now we don't know how long has transpired, how long a time has transpired between the creation of Adam and Eve and the event that we just read about in Genesis 3. Uh, Some time had gone by. All we know is that here is Eve. She is somewhere separated from Adam. She was off on her own. We know that the enemy looked at the two of them and he decided to attack the woman. Now, we we already saw that when God gave the command not to eat of the tree of good and evil, he gave it to Adam before Eve existed. He gave it to the man. And he said to the man, this is the tree you shall not eat of the day you eat of it. You will surely die. And so Adam had the command. Then Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. And so... It was up to the man to communicate this truth to the woman. Now, apparently, he had communicated it because she quotes to the serpent, we're going to see in a minute, she says, God said. So Adam had at some point said to Eve, honey, listen, i got to tell you what God has said to me. Here we are in this beautiful garden. We've got these beautiful trees. We can eat off of any tree we want, but we cannot eat of that tree because God said, The day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so the communication had gone from the man to the woman. Now here's Eve. She's off by herself. 
I personally believe that the enemy will give you what I would call a satanic inspection. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your vulnerabilities. He knows the ways he can best get at you. And he knew that of the two of them, he probably had a better shot at Eve. More than likely, because the woman is more emotional, and I believe more easily swayed than a man, because of her emotions and her gentler side. So he approaches the woman. Now the Bible says that he was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he is identified as a serpent. Now, I don't know, and nobody knows for sure, if he possessed a snake that actually slithered up to her and raised up in front of her and began to talk to her. We don't know if this was a, a vision that manifested in her mind on the part of the enemy. We don't know for sure. But the Bible says that he came in the form of a serpent and says that he was cunning, cunning, more cunning than anything God had created of all the beasts of the field. Now that word cunning means subtle and crafty, and it would do us well tonight to take a real good look at this because subtle, crafty, the Bible talks about the wiles or the schemes of the devil. 2 Corinthians 11.14 tells us, For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now here we're given a glimpse into the way that the enemy attacks you and me. He does not approach us in a red suit with a tail and a pitchfork. No, no, no. Transform, the word transform comes from a Greek word. And before I looked it up, I thought it was going to be metamorpho, which means to morph into. But there's a difference between that word and the word that's actually used. Metamorphuo would, would have meant he changed himself into something permanently. But the Greek word that was used for transform in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen means to temporarily disguise yourself according to the need of the moment. Now watch this. Paul said, you need to understand this about your enemy, your adversary, the devil. When he's going to attack you, he changes or disguises himself so that when he approaches you, he looks good. He looks like an angel of light. He is deceitful above all things. When he knows what your weakness is, here's one of his tactics. He he morphs himself temporarily into a disguise. You know, I was thinking, we've all seen you know, horror movies, terror movies, where you know, a human being changes into something else and then changes back, a werewolf or something like that, and they go through this morphing, but they don't stay that way, they go back. And we've all seen movies more than likely where something evil turned itself into something good according to the need of the moment, then turned back into something evil. That's exactly what the enemy does. He changes himself. When he approached Eve, he approached her as something good, as an angel of light, as something, something uh, palatable and acceptable and appealing. And here she is, in the Garden of Eden, innocent as the day is long, 
suddenly there is a creature in front of her. And he begins to debate with her. And I want you to notice what he did. The first thing he did when he had morphed himself into something that made Eve pay attention to him. If he had looked evil, she would have fled to Adam. That's exactly what she should have done the minute he said, has God said? She should have fled to Adam and said, there's a serpent over there. But she didn't. Why? Because somehow what he morphed himself into made her pause and listen. That's how the cults get people. They seem right, look right, sound right. They appear as angels of light, but they seduce you into a doctrine that is false. But they do it as angels of light, false apostles. The enemy's greatest tactics with you and me, everybody, is is not to come at us with something obviously and apparently immediately evil, but to come to us with something that at first glance looks right. He attacked the Word of God. The only Word of God they had, they didn't have a Bible. All they had was, Adam, let me tell you what you cannot do. You can have all of this, but you cannot touch that tree. That's the only Word of God they had. You can memorize that. He attacked the Word of God, and I'm going to tell you something, folks. His bag of tricks are no different. He hasn't changed his bag of tricks at all. The first thing he began to do was undermine the word of God. Are you sure, Eve, that God has said? Are you sure God has said? Have you really thought this through, Eve? Isn't this kind of ridiculous, Eve, that God would give you all of this and then tell you you couldn't have that? Are you positive? Well, all she had was her husband had given her the word that God had given him. So the enemy said, my best shot is with her. He appears to her as an angel of light, and he begins to undermine the word of God. Has God said? I found it very interesting that in verse 3, her quote, her quote of what God told Adam is softer. It's a little bit watered down compared to the word God gave. God gave the word to Adam, if you eat that tree, you will surely die. Eve's quote was a little bit softer. Her quote was, was, lest you die. Don't eat of it, lest you die. The, the, the certainty of death is a little bit softer there with her, with her communication. Now I want you to notice something, folks. Instead of walking away from the devil, she entered into debate with him. You do not debate with the, with the devil. You quote the devil, the word of God, but you do not debate with him because you will lose if you debate with him. She begins to debate with him, and she says, well, you know, yeah, I know for a fact, he said, we can eat of all these trees, we can do all of that, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Not you shall surely die, but lest you die. Then here comes the serpent in verse 4, and he did with her what he does with you and me. Once we're questioning the word of God, has God really said... Has he really told me I can't do this, can't do that, can't go here, can't go there? Am I being a little bit fanatical here? Is this really the word of God? Are you sure God has said, are you going to crucify your flesh and live according to the Spirit and do all these things because of what's in some book? There's a lot of books. How do you know it's the real book, the word of God? I mean, we've got Muhammad, we've got Buddha, we've got all these world religions. How do you know that has, has God really said If he can get you running with that one, then you're vulnerable. 
And that's why I teach you folks all the time, this is the word of God. Because if you're open to, well, I don't know, well, you know, it could be that some of it's the word of God and some of it isn't, and we just don't really know for sure. If you've got that opening, the enemy's got you. It's only a matter of time. Because when he comes to take you down, you will not be able to authoritatively quote a word to him that you're questioning. And let me also tell you this, when you got saved, you didn't lose your mind. You can question the word of God and get good answers. The word of God doesn't mind scrutiny. Amen? But now, once she's wondering about this, here he comes and he says, guess what? God is stealing from you. God's robbing you, Eve. Don't you understand, Eve, that God didn't tell you the truth why you can't partake of that tree? Don't you know he lied to you? Because God knows, God knows. Do you hear him undermining God's integrity and God's character in her mind? I can just hear it because that's what, that's what the enemy does. When you're in a trial, when you're in a temptation, when you're backed into a corner and you're in a tough spot, he's going to hit you with two things. Has God said? Are you sure he said? And once you're doubting that, then he's going to slip in questioning the intent of God towards you. God's not really for you. God's not really listening to you. He's not really a prayer-answering God. Because if he was, you'd be seeing this and this and this, but you're not seeing this and this and this. So you ought to know, God, the, the, the one you're reading about in that, that book, that's not the God that's real. Don't you know, Eve, God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil, and he doesn't want you to be like him. He's robbing you. Now, I want you to notice what happened to Eve. First, she's questioning whether or not the Word of God was the Word of God. Then she's questioning the character and the integrity of God and His intent towards her. And then she slips into the flesh. Now, notice, Satan questioned whether to break this Word was really a sin. He denied any danger in it. You're not going to die. He denied the danger of it, and he suggested to her that it would actually bring gain if she did it. Now, I want to just tell you something, folks. When the enemy comes at you and me with a temptation, it's exactly the same. He will first question the word and make you question whether or not to do something is really a sin when the word is clear that it is. Then he comes in and says, hey, there's no real danger in this. You're not going to die. Look all around you. There's people sinning all the time. What's happened to them? You don't see anything happen to them? And then he says, actually, if you do it, you're going to learn some things that are going to be gain to you. You need this, actually. God's robbing you. You're too fanatical. Cool your heels. Get out of church. Get out of work. Don't pray so much. Get out there and live. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get out there, and you begin to eat the fruit, and you die. But you don't see the consequences until it's way too late. Eve transgresses in verse 6 through 8. She moved out from under faith, and she went into the flesh. 
Verse 6 says, when the woman saw, can everybody say with me, saw, that the tree was good for food. Now say with me, the lust of the flesh. She saw the, the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, say with me, the lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, say with me, the pride of life. She picked the fruit and ate. That's why John in 1 John came along and tell, tells us this. He said, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The minute that you begin to question the word of God and the integrity of God and the character of God, here's where you're going. You're going to move from faith into the flesh. And you're going to begin to operate by the side of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And that is the satanic system that runs our whole culture. Our culture is not run by God. I mean, he's over it. He's sovereign. But our culture is run by the God of this world, little g, Satan. And the satanic system he set up is completely run by lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's how it operates. So when you come along and you talk about things that have to do with faith, that's why Paul said, this world does not understand the things of faith, the things of the Spirit. They can't understand it because they are spiritually discerned. So you're either operating by faith, believing the Word of God, or you're operating by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And if you're operating by those three, let me tell you what's down the road, sooner or later, shipwreck, catastrophe, destruction, damage. Because you'll operate just like she did. When she saw that it was good for the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the lust of the eyes, and then she said, I want to be like God. And notice how Satan was trying to inject her with the very thing that made him fall. Because Satan looked up one day, according to Isaiah and Ezekiel, and said, I will be like God. And he headed up to heaven. And God overthrew him. And he became a disembodied spirit. I want you to also notice with me that in Genesis 3, at the beginning of time, he's already fallen. He's already a disembodied spirit. He's already been judged. When God created the world, he was already out there somewhere in the spirit world. And here he comes to Eve, hating her and hating Adam because they were the apple of God's eye. So, let me tell you all something. He cannot stand that we enjoy what he can no longer do. He was the praising archangel. Don't you know that he hates worship and praise? He was the praising archangel. He can't do it anymore. We've been redeemed. He can't be redeemed. We can walk in fellowship with God. He'll never do it again. So he comes to overthrow Adam and Eve, and he did it. By the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, when she saw all these things, she ate. And as those who are tempted fall, very few people want to fall alone. So she goes to her husband, offered it to him, and he ate. And when he ate, folks, such a black, dark, dismal door was opened. Even though we can read about it and look around and see the evidences of it, we'll never know it fully until we get to heaven. But sin came in, sickness came in, 
Death came in. As a matter of fact, let me just show you. Transgression brought the following consequences. And I'm going to get us to read them together. Can you read the first one with me? The entire human race became guilty of sin. Now, uh, read with me these verses, can you? Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world. So through one man, sin entered the world. Look at Romans 5.18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. And then verse 19, let's read it. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. They say, Pastor Jeff, that's not fair. Well, no, here's, here's the better statement. Thank God he sent Christ. Because if he hadn't sent Christ, yeah, we'd be, we'd be in a pickle. We'd be condemned forever. And, and what I want you to understand, and here I go off into Bible teaching instead of what the culture wants you to hear. There was a very famous book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. That's a lie. Let me tell you something. We're all sick. We all need a Savior because we're all sinners by nature. We're about to see that in just a moment. But when Adam sinned, God put the whole human race under sin and under the guilt and judgment of sin. All of us. We were guilty by association. And what we're about to see is we're guilty by action. So... Nobody knows they need a doctor unless they're told they're sick. That's why one of the messages of the church that needs to be loud and clear is that you, if you haven't come to Christ, you're in trouble because your sin is not covered. And if it's not covered and you die, you're lost without Christ. You're separated forever from God. And if we don't tell that, because that's what all the apostles told, that's what Christ told, that's what the whole Bible declares to the world. Alright? So, now, let's look at the second thing that sin did. Read number two with me, would you? The entire human race was subjected to death. Read Romans 5.12 with me. And thus, death spread to all men, because all sinned. It was never God's will that we look into a a casket at a loved one. There would have been no death. Death would not have been a part of our world. Death came, folks, by sin. Death came only by sin. If there had been no sin, if Adam had not fallen, there would never have been cessation of life. It never would have happened. Not only us, but as we're about to see, none of the creation would ever have died. We were created to be eternal. But when sin entered the human race, are you ready? We died. We died. And what's interesting is you track, and we're going to see this as we go through Genesis, you track the the longevity of people. You track the longevity of people and back in in the days of, uh, of before the flood, they lived 800 years, 900 years, but as you track the length of the human life, It goes down further and further and further until finally, David says, man, if you get your three score and ten, you're blessed. That's sin working on the human race. Now, number three, let's read it together. This is the third result of sin. We were all born with fallen natures separated from God. Now, let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 together, can we? And you he made alive 
who were dead. Now, let's say that word real good and loud. We were what? Dead. Because there's not just physical death. When you're separated from God, that's spiritual death. And there, those people out there who are not saved, who have never come to Christ, who have never been covered by the blood, never been born again, are out there functioning, but their spirits are cut off from God. And they're dead. Dead. Matter of fact, that word in the Greek language, dead, literally means this, a corpse on a slab. Can you say with me, dead people don't seek God? Can you say with me, dead people don't help themselves? Well then, Pastor Jeff, how in the world are we here? Grace. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, lest anybody should boast and say, I saved myself with my own talent, my own brilliance, my own money, my own whatever. No. We were ready. We were corpses on a slab. Dead in what? Trespasses and in sins. Dead. We were dead. So what happened? By God's grace, he moved on us. We heard the gospel. The Bible says the gospel is the light of the glory of God. It is the truth about Jesus Christ. It is God saying, Adam and Eve fell, the whole human race fell. Here's my solution. And when we responded to it, we were raised from the dead as much as Lazarus was. Pastor Jeff, no, no, he was physically dead. I'm telling you, you were a corpse on a slab spiritually. You did not sit up one day on your slab and say, you know, I have a brilliant idea. I believe today I will go find God. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. It's not our work. Lest anybody should boast. Okay? So let's just keep reading now. We were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So notice, there's a spirit working in lost people. It's a spirit of rebellion. It's a spirit of transgression. Now let's go on. Among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in what, everybody? The lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And what does it say about us? We were by nature children of wrath. Wow. That's not very good news about you and me, is it? That's why you preach the gospel. Because guess what? We're not okay. We need to hear this. Because if you don't hear that you've got cancer, how are you going to get it fixed? If you don't hear that you've got heart disease, how are you going to get a heart transplant? If you don't hear that you've got to be born again, and you're never going to see the kingdom of God, and you've got to be born again, because until your spirit is born again, you're, you, you are a child of wrath. If I don't hear that, I have no compunction to get saved. That's why I don't understand some of these preachers on TV and the radio, how in the world they can't just look at all those millions of people out there listening and say, you must be born again. Because folks, if this is true, if this is true, 
what we're reading right there, then when you die, you die in your sins, and you're lost forever. You say, Pastor, what do you think hell is? I think hell, this would be the worst part of it to me, is separation from God. God's not there. There's no God. He's not there. Whatever it is, it's separation from God. Forever. Well, am I going to be in purgatory and get out someday? My loved ones giving up to the church to get me out? There is no purgatory. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Well, that's not what I was taught. You taught wrong. There's no purgatory. It doesn't exist. When you die, if you die in your sins, that's it. If you die in Christ, your, your spirit goes right in the presence of the Lord. But until you get born again, this is your condition. I remember that song, I just stepped in to see what condition my condition was in. I wish America would just step in and see what condition their condition was in. Pretty bad when today, those brilliant judges in California decided to outlaw saying the Pledge of Allegiance with the name of God in it. And all we're doing is hammering nails into our coffin as a country. And besides, you can't keep God out, no matter what you legislate. Now, let's look at a little bit further. Here's another thing that sin did. Read it with me. The whole creation was subjected to the frustrating cycle of death and decay. The whole created world, every living thing was affected by sin. Um, I want you to read Romans 8, 19 to 21 with me. This is really powerful. Ready? For the creation was subjected to vanity, to futility, was frustrated, not of its own will, but because in God's purpose it had been so limited. But at the same time he did thus condemn the creation, he gave it hope that in the end of the whole created life will be rescued. That in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued. Set free from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share of the glorious freedom of the children of God. Man, that is powerful. Let me just explain what that is telling us. When sin entered the world, and we all died with it, according to the scriptures, we died with it, and we became sinners by nature. Our very nature was to sin. Please catch this now. Uh, not only does Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 tell us that, but many, many verses in the Bible, it says of Jesus in Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. What's the difference? A transgression is willful deviation from the path of righteousness. It's the act of sin. When I transgress, it's an act of sin. But iniquity is the pull to sin, the pull of the fallen nature to do wrong. So Jesus died not only to cover our sins, but he died and was bruised to take care of our bent towards sin. So that every time you're even tempted towards it or lean towards it or pulled towards it, you can, you can say, you know what, I don't have to do that because Jesus was bruised even for my pull towards it, whether or not I do it. He took care of even being pulled towards it. Amen? And so then the Bible tells us that not only were we so massively affected by the fall, but creation was subject to futility. The entire creation, and I've wondered about this, because, you know, being a dog lover and a pet lover, 
I've had to, listen, I've had to pray through, are my dogs going to be in heaven? I can't imagine those beautiful creatures not going to heaven. I've even had, my mother called me a while back and she said, Jeffrey, she's the only one on earth that calls me Jeffrey. She said, I've got a friend and, and uh, you know, my mom, for what she does is she pet sits. I mean, she goes to houses and, and takes care of pe- people's animals. And so, uh, um, so she said, I've got a friend who's had this dog for years and years and years and she's a widow and she's alone and her little dog just died and she is just beside herself. And she said, would you do a funeral? So then I had a theological quandary. Because I can't, I didn't know. Because I, listen, at first that sounded silly to me, but I'm going to tell you, you get attached to those little rascals. I mean, you do. I mean, I love dogs. Who else acts like it's the second coming of Christ every time you come home? But your dog. I wish I was the man my dogs think I am. And you know, our dogs, you know, I'm there. She's the alpha person. When she comes home, you know, I've had to deal with it. Because I'm with them all day, you know, a lot of of day, and she comes home, and they hear her car. When they hear my car, they don't even come out. They can tell the difference between the cars. When they hear her car, they gather at the door, tails wagging. They start barking. I say to them, how come you don't do that for me? And they just look at me like, you're not the alpha person. I mean, it's almost like they might as well be singing. There is none like you when she comes home. They walk in, she walks in, they jump all over her. They bark, they yap, they jump up and down until she picks them up. It it is disgusting. But I think anything as humble as a dog, as servant-hearted as a dog, surely they don't just go to the dust. Well, I found good news maybe, maybe today. Because the Bible says that the cre- whole creation was subjected to futility. Futility of what? The futility of death and decay. The whole creation was subjected to the futility and the frustration of death and decay. There was no death and no decay until sin. Now, please understand with me, and this is a great quote, I wanted to read this to you. The creation cannot be at rest until the plan of God is fulfilled. And those who have been called in Christ come into their full inheritance. Folks, let me tell you something. Our whole world is groaning with birth pangs right now. This world, are you ready? The Greek puts it this way. The creation is standing on tiptoe, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. What is Paul telling us in in Romans chapter 8? And 19 through 21. Here's what he's telling us. The whole creation has been subjected to futility, and they are not going to be delivered from the cycle of death and decay until Jesus comes again and takes his church into glory, wraps this whole thing up, and the millennial reign of Christ, the rule of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is brought to this world. And when it is, the creation itself is going to be delivered from the futility of death and decay. 
that means something to me. I mean, that is exciting. One commentator wrote this. In 1959, he wrote this. The child of God is not disturbed at the erosion of the fields, the tornadoes, the typhoons, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, and the other tragedies of nature which frame our earthly existence. Nor is the child of God disturbed at the wars, famines, pestilences, and other cataclysms which touch the human race, for he knows, he knows, we should know, that all of them are according to the eternal plan of an all-wise and all-loving Father who is infinitely capable of bringing to pass all things after the counsel of his own will. Even Jesus said in Matthew 24, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's only the beginning of birth pangs. There's going to be famines, pestilences, all kinds of problems on the earth. And they're going to happen with increasing frequency because... Listen, the creation has been subjected to futility and it's standing on tiptoe waiting for when God turns to the sun. I think I'm going to preach a little bit. Waiting for when God turns to the sun and says, go get your bride. And when Jesus comes and gets his bride and whisks us into glory, the world goes through the tribulation period, then it all ends. He wraps this thing up like a giant scroll. And then he ushers in his kingdom, his rule, his peace. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and there will be war no more. The lion will lay down with the lamb. All these promises in the word of God. Then, even the very creation that has suffered because of sin will be delivered because of the liberty and fulfillment and maturity of the sons of God. So there is a great day coming. Glory to God. So, you know what? Out there in that creation, when the frogs are chirping at night, when all the insects and all the animals and all the fishes of the sea are going through the motions of death and decay, something in them is on tiptoe. I'm waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And when that happens, I'm delivered from this cycle of futility. We're going to look at the rest of Genesis 3 next week. Can we stand up together? How many of you are getting something out of Genesis? And that's good stuff. So let's just read now the good news out loud. I wanted to end on good news. Ready? Let's read it. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Whereas by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, Let's give the Lord a hand. Can we thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Father, we just thank you tonight that we see our world in birth pains. And they are increasing, Lord. And we know there's all heading towards a final climactic finale when you will come again. 
and deliver the entire planet from the futility and the frustration of the never-ending cycle of death and decay. That will be over. We thank you, Lord, for that hope that is certain and can anchor for our souls. Help us in our church reach as many people as possible with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is life to those who receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.